Okay, so this week I'm joined by Gary Ismay. He's a developer with um, experience on apps in the store since 2012. He's had a couple of new apps out over the last couple of years. So today we're going to talk a bit about what he's been up to. Hi, Gary. Hi, David. Good to be here. So to kick off, how did you get started in app development? Like, What's your developer superhero origin story? <laughs> so um, I was originally introduced to uh, computer programming um, when I was at school um, in mathematics. And I remember the uh, first computer that I saw was, um, I think it was 1979, and it was in a maths lesson. And it was a, a Commodore PET. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It's like a, a keyboard and a screen all in one. And yep. it was like a black and white black and white screen um and we got shown how we could do maths really quickly uh, and it kind of spiked my interest in what these uh, new microcomputers were at the time that were coming out and then i as one of the subjects that you got a chance to pick at school for the final two or three years at school i picked computer studies which was new at the time yeah. um and then i it got, got into programming there so uh, yeah so that was my first introduction to a, a micro was in uh, back end of 1979 and then I did computer studies from about late 1980 to when I eventually left school in uh, 1983 and I used to uh, skip off other lessons and go into the computer lab and um, they had a, a row of four of these Commodore pets and another computer in the corner. I used to go in there and try and write my own uh, games and um, like adventure games and things like Caterpillar and uh, stuff that I'd seen in arcades at the time. Um, and, I, and I really, really got into it. Once I'd moved on from school, um, I started working as a, a mainframe operator, which was um, on these very large computers that were uh, kept in huge air-conditioned rooms. And yeah. um, although I didn't do any programming, I carried on doing it as a as a hobby, got a Sinclair ZX81 for about 50 quid at the time, I think it was. Uh, saved up with my paper round and got that. A fair price at the time as well. Yeah, ex- exactly. And then um, over the years, as I eventually moved into uh, the world of work, um, obviously got a bit more money and then worked my way up through uh, things like a Sinclair QL. I taught myself assembly language on, a, on that, which was a 68,000 series processor uh, then i got an amiga computer which uh, some people might might remember yeah um and taught myself uh, assembly language on the ql and then the amiga because they're both sixty-eight thousand, and got into assembly language and then uh, I, I did it as a hobby and i was doing it in my uh, sort of like in my bedroom at home uh, in the back room and just used to really enjoy it used to buy uh, computer magazines that were out at the time they used to print these uh, listings in them which were programs that you'd type into the computer and then you could run them uh, and just learned how to uh, write my own programs doing that uh, over the years Um, but then on when I started writing code on the Amiga, it got a bit more, uh, uh, a bit more of a serious hobby. I became a, an Amiga registered developer, as they were at the time. I went to a couple of developer conferences and oh, wow. met other developers. Some, some of whom uh, subsequently became quite famous um, and wrote some games that uh, were quite big at the time. Obviously, they were way, way, way better coders than me. Uh, people who could literally write hex. Uh, in their head, um, yeah. they were writing really, really awesome code, and then so pr- professionally, I wasn't doing programming. I was still doing this mainframe operating. I did that for about ten years and moved off into management. And then um, the management side of things wasn't very technical at all, uh, and I kind of lost touch with computers um, and programming and 
Uh, it was all PCs and it was all guys in suits at the time. Yeah. So I didn't really uh, do anything after uh, between about 1992 to about 1998 when uh, the iMac came out. And I, I bought my first ever Mac because... At that point, I'd just started contract work, and suddenly I could afford to buy a Mac because up until that point, they were ridiculously expensive for me. And tried to, on the Mac, on the iMac, I tried to uh, learn Java, um, which was kind of getting a bit hot at the time, but couldn't get my head around it, gave up on that. In 2008, I got my first iPhone. I saw the App Store came out, uh, started to see indie developers writing apps, and that kind of spiked my interest a bit so i uh, resolved to teach myself iphone programming and try to get into it that way and it took me a few few goes at it a few stops and starts with books and trying to follow examples yeah couldn't really get my head around object oriented coding it because it was a complete change to uh, the assembly language that i knew as you can imagine that's um that's something i can echo actually from from when i started um which would have been at a similar sort of time uh, is is that because I've been doing you know different types of development really uh, a lot of SQL based stuff and you know, kind of just linear scripting yeah. you know getting into the object orientated side of stuff especially when it was sort of Objective C and actually I was sort of came in just just before well just on the edge of when Arc came in yeah so there's yeah. all this memory allocation as well uh, it was a, a a bit of a jump really for me. Um, so I think I can appreciate that if you've got this, this sort of different kind of background, um, you know, it's, it's quite a bit to pick up at the start. Yeah, just, um, I mean, it didn't matter how many books I, I tried to read and get my head around and try all the examples. It, it just really didn't sink in for ages. And then it wasn't until, um, I think it was about beginning of 2011 when I thought, I've, I've either got to do this uh, or I'll just give it up completely. So, um I thought the only way I'm going to do it is to actually try and write an app from start to finish with the intention of getting it in the app store. Um, yeah. So I actually uh, set about writing an app, um, which at the time was uh, the easiest kind of app to write, which was a to-do list, um, and then tasked myself with uh, trying to get that finished and into the app store. So I taught myself Objective-C, App Development, Xcode, um Obviously, still referring back to books and obviously um, things like Stack Overflow were around at the time as well. So looking around on how to do things uh, and then gradually develop this app over the course of uh, 2011. I was still working during the day and then I was working on this at night and uh, eventually got that first app finished in the uh, beginning of 2012 and I put it on the App Store in March 2012. So uh, that is kind of a, a long-winded way of saying how we got into development. Brilliant. So that was a um, a to do list step back in 2012. Yeah, it was. It, it seemed straightforward at the time because it was uh, as most to do lists are. It's just a few table views, so it's uh, not too complicated. But I had to make it complicated by doing it slightly differently. In that, um, I thought uh, for some reason, although I think it still holds up now, when you get a task to do, uh, usually you're being asked to do it by someone, especially in a profen- uh, professional. Uh, sense so it could be either one of your peers asking you to do something or it could be a boss asking you to do something so I built in this uh, kind of intelligence into the app which when you create a task it asks you who you're doing it for and then it says what kind of relationship are you to them are they your boss or are they your peer or do they work for you and then it uses that information to prioritize the 
the task list. So the theory is that always the most important stuff is at the top, and it's doing <laughs> the thinking behind the scenes. Um, so uh, so yes, yeah, so I did wrote that got out in 2012, and uh, and the rest is history. Here I am, a multimillionaire, speaking <laughs> to you now. How was your success um, in those <laughs> early days? Well, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was a, it was a learning experience to uh, obviously develop the app, and I got into a lot of other stuff as well. Obviously, things like um, you have to design the graphics, you have to do the screenshots, you have to do a little bit of marketing work as well, producing videos and all that kind of stuff, which up until that point I'd never done. So it was it was quite interesting. But I, I, I launched it. Um, it was fairly quite the initial launch but then um picked up a little bit and all it's been on the app store now since non-stop since march 2012 it's had a it's had a few updates since then but it's probably been downloaded about twenty thousand times um in, yeah. in that period admittedly yeah. quite a lot of a lot of that was when i made it free which was um which i did on on occasion because uh, it wasn't really making any money but i just wanted to uh it, it was my first stab at doing something so i experimented with the uh the pricing and that at the time um but yeah. uh yeah got and we got fairly good reviews at the time it got a feature in um well not a feature got a mention in uh per mac stories in 2016 when i did a revision to it um uh so it, it wasn't bad so what do you think attracted you to app development like i'm hearing like you uh had that kind of intrinsic developer curiosity from all the way back when um, but what do you think sort of galvanized like aha i've got to get into this like you sort of described um that you felt like you had to either get it or put it down yeah well i, I think there was a there was a couple of things there was uh, when the app store uh, came out and then you started to see some indie developers being quite successful uh, admittedly, some of the early days, you had things like the fire tops and stuff like that, which um, we won't talk too much about. But um, see, seeing that initial success, I thought, I wonder if I could do something that could uh, potentially make some money or get successful in some way. Um, but there was also the the thought that people were producing stuff on their own in, independently and they were just literally sat at home on a laptop producing something and then releasing it worldwide. And it, it kind of uh, brought back memories of, uh, like I mentioned earlier, with the developing in your, in my bedroom when I was younger um, and, and writing apps there because I did do a few uh, apps at the time back then that were public domain that got released and um, that whole... Uh, it, it, it was. I think it was those two things. It was rekindling those uh, halcyon days of when I used to do uh, programming in my back bedroom when I used to really enjoy uh, sitting and writing code and I was really, really geeky, combined with the fact that there was the potential to do something that could that could make money. But also, I think I just enjoy creating something from scratch, taking an idea and then seeing what you can do with it and then uh, growing it over time, learning new stuff along the way and just the, the challenge of problem solving as you go. Uh, and it keeps yeah. the old uh, the brain cells going as well, which has been super handy recently during the, uh, during the lockdown. So you mentioned the, the lockdown just there. Um, yeah, does that yeah. mean you've been developing some some new apps during the lockdown? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, so, at the, at, well, at the back end of uh, last year, in 2019, um, I had a 
idea to do an app that was fitness-based. I wanted to do something with um, an app that generated a, a random target and then try and get to it in a certain time. And uh, I kind of got interested in geofencing at, at the time as well. So I started doing um, a prototype at the end of 2019. And then for the first couple of months of uh, 2020, I was working on it just to see if practically it would work. Um, so, so the idea of the app was to, um, on a map, it would you'd say you wanted to do like a walk of two kilometres or something, and then it would stick a flag down two kilometres from where you were on this map in the virtual world, and then you would try and get to that that flag in time. Um, so I did a a prototype just to see whether it'd work. Uh, did some um, testing in the field, if you like, where I'd go wondering and see if I get these geofences to trigger at the right time and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I carried on working with it. But then we had the uh, the lockdown in March uh, this year, 2020, um, which in the UK, uh, I think it was from around about March the 19th or something, the, yeah. um, you're allowed to go out for an hour a day for exercise. So I started to think more about this app then and thought, right, I need to move it from a prototype to something that I could potentially use myself and other people might find might find useful so that kind of g'd me on and, and encouraged me to develop that app so I spent um, the next two or three months uh, writing that app in full eventually released it in the app store in July this year so it was uh, yeah it was interesting but that whole that whole lockdown thing and then the from the middle of May when I finished my last contract i suddenly found myself with a lot of time on my hands as well so it was i was able to give it uh work on it full time and also uh get out and do some uh testing on it during the day um and yeah. the test the, the, the testing on it was quite funny i suspect to some people who were watching because me and my wife uh, would go out with the app on our phones um and you'd regularly see us walking around uh leatherman saint Anne's where near where we live wandering around backwards and forwards trying to get these geofences to trigger at the right time. So who knows what the <laughs> locals thought we were doing. So, uh, so yeah, the testing uh, was, quite, was quite interesting because there's only so much you could do on the simulator with, yeah. a, with a map mapping up. You've really got to test it in the field, if you like. Yeah, you really do. The The geofences can be quite tricky to trigger. Yeah, it took took, took me a lot of uh, a lot of work to uh, get my head around it. The The prototype was really useful because um, it proved the stuff I needed to know about the geofencing and how to handle those events happening at the right time and asynchronously to everything else that was going on in the app, like the timer and everything. So I was able to tune that over time and get it working pretty well by the end of it. But the... The whole maths around it was uh, blew my brain at the time because um, <laughs> it's one thing to stick a flag uh, on a map two kilometres from where you are, which you can kind of roughly you can work it out by just doing a a circle, a circumference uh, with a radius of two kilometres, and then stick a flag on that circumference somewhere. Yeah, even that bit of maths was complicated for me initially, but then that says the crow flies. It's not necessarily two kilometres to get to that flag because you've got to walk there via uh, footpaths that are available or roads that are available. So working out how to adjust where that flag was based on the route that it would take to walk two kilometres to get there, if you know what I mean. It was uh, yeah. it was quite complicated because it's quite easy on a mapping app to say, take me here and, and choose somewhere on a map and it'll draw a route to it. But to draw a route to somewhere based on a distance is quite complicated and as far as i'm aware there's nothing else that uh, 
that does that at the moment. So you can't say, take me somewhere that's two kilometres away. You've got to pick somewhere that you know is two kilometres away and then get mm-hmm. it to draw your route to it. So I was doing it backwards. So my, um, I spent quite a lot of time with my head in my hands trying to figure out uh, the maths for doing that. That's brilliant. Um, I don't know whether you... Uh whether you want to say actually but um because it's kind of the the secret sauce in the app but how did you go about breaking out that problem is does it the app kind of walk the route um to figure it out so i, I do the the circumference calculation so uh, and then work out a point on that circumference at the distance that you've chosen and then i call the the map kit code to generate the route there and then i, I say is that the right distance um and if it isn't and usually usually it's uh, it's a few hundred meters either side or, or can be like up to a kilometer either side uh, from some of the test and it depends on the types of roads and uh, the layout of the land where you are but um then what i do is i look at where the flag is and go backwards towards you along the route the last bit of the route that it picked and then move it back. So, for example, if it had put a road there um, that was like a mile long, which took you half a mile over where the flag was, I just move back along that road in that direction half a mile to, and then put the flag there. And generally, it's pretty accurate. And I did a lot of comparisons at the time when I did the algorithm using, um, obviously, I had the app generating that. And then I was doing on uh, Apple Maps to put the pin in at the point where it, where the app had identified and then seeing how far Apple Maps said it was. Um, so it, it generally gets it to within uh, a few metres of uh, the distance that you've chosen. Where it struggles is where the roads are a bit bit strange or the layout of the land is a bit strange and there isn't a, a very easy way of getting there. And sometimes it can put a flag in the middle of a, a motorway or something like that, which <laughs> which it shouldn't do because I'm asking the maps, uh, the map kit uh, software to give me a walking route. But... Uh, Apple's definition of a walking route and uh, walking route and mine are uh, maybe not the same thing. So, as far as I'm aware, nobody has been killed getting to the flag. Just want to state that for the record. <laughs> Sounds like you you need like a Pokemon Go style set of warnings. Well, it's it's interesting that you, that you say that because on the original version of the app I was doing, as you got nearer the flag, it would alert you, and then ping up an AR view that you could hold up your camera and you'd see this thing spinning in the air where the flag was supposed to be. Um, I might bring that back at some point in the future, or I might do a different app. But uh, yeah, the whole the whole map kit and geofencing and location awareness, and then combining that with the latest stuff that's coming out, obviously like lidar and that, I find super interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of lot of potential for apps in the future on that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really good when you've got an idea that um, you can have a bit of a play with some of these things as well. You know, so like you say, you could drop some AR into this app and it would still kind of make sense that, that that's it because it's um because it's so good now the technology working out where you are and what direction the phone's pointing and whether it's up or down and you can do some quite uh, quite clever stuff with it um maybe that's version two but um but yeah it was hard enough just getting the basic basic mapping mapping code and the uh, sticking the flag in the right place uh to work initially so when you when you launched this app and actually i just want to say this app is called meander Right, that that's that's the name of this app. Yeah, it's called Meander uh, Walking Workouts. Um, so yeah, that's what it's called on the App Store. Uh, so it's Meander M E A N D R. 
So yep. trendily left out the uh, the final E. Just <laughs> seems to be what all the hip kids used to do in the mid nineties. Excellent. Well, we'll link that up in the show notes and everything. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when you when you launched it, how did that go? What what did you do for the launch? So uh, to to be honest, I was a bit bit re- not remiss with the launch, but I did a soft launch. So I just wanted to. I, I'd got a shippable app, I think. And I kind of wanted to get out there and see see what happened and see if I got any feedback. Um, so I did all the usual stuff like producing a press kit, uh, emailed a few publications, did some Twitter ads and search ad promotions. Yeah. Um, nothing major. The search ad stuff I just wanted to see because it's not an area that I'm hugely familiar with uh, in the health and fitness. I just wanted to see the kind of keywords that people were searching for um, and see what generated the most hits for yep. the app so that I could tweak that over time. Um, and one of the things that I did with the uh, search ads, because I'd done um, – it was also the first app that I did localization in, so I'd localized into French and Spanish as well. So I did uh, the search ads for the French and Spanish search terms that they use. Don't ask me what, what they are because I'd probably completely cock up the pronunciation. But um, <laughs> that did sort of work about uh, – Two months ago, it uh, charted in the top five in France and Spain, um, not with more than a handful of downloads, but it was still interesting to see that. So, yeah, um, it was just all it was, it was a learning, a learning thing. Um, and because I'd released it um, with this, although I was, I came out with a shippable app, and I, I think it was quite polished when it when it went out with that first version. I'd still got a lot of plans for it, and I think I wanted to concentrate later on on the maybe building up a bit and and also the publications that i'd emailed asking if they're interested weren't fitness publications and and i think that's where my next kind of push is going to be into those those social groups and those kind of publications and that they're more fitness oriented as opposed to the uh the kind of tech audience that you'd normally market a new app to because uh no disrespect to all those techies but we're not generally the the best people to use fitness apps because we're spending all day sat in front of a laptop writing code so uh yeah that's quite true yeah exactly so um uh, you're probably the exception to that david because i've uh, obviously had some feedback from you on the uh, beta version that i did uh, yep. which, has been, which has been useful um so i'm going to uh i'm, I'm working on a, a marketing plan at the moment for uh, future versions and i'm hoping i can kind of take advantage of the uh the new year when things uh, people do new year resolutions and are starting to look around for uh, something that would help them in that respect yeah definitely january's uh, the the month where everybody decides to get back on with everything yeah that's it i mean it's going to be a crazy new year with everything that's going on so uh, it'll be interesting to see how it how it works out but uh, definitely that that's the intention anyway to people doing all those keyword searches on how do i burn off mince pies <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about the um the search ads and the Twitter campaigns. Did you uh did you find any specific sort of like um routes of success with those? Um the the Twitter campaign uh, not as much. I mean it got a lot of uh, got a lot of views. I mean you you, you have to spend uh, a fair amount of money. I mean not huge amounts of money, but it it, it did uh, it did cost a bit and you didn't I didn't see 
that converting into downloads at all. Um, so you get a lot of people watching you, uh, looking at your links. You get a lot of impressions. Uh, you get people clicking on the link to the media and seeing the uh, maybe going to the app store, but that wasn't converting to uh, downloads. Maybe that was the price at the time. I don't know. But um, the search ads was. Uh, much better, got much better results, and you get much more uh, actionable data back from it as well. So you can you can see um, the demographics, uh, the number of clicks that people are following through. You can see it linked to the downloads and that as well. So, and then it, it, the, the the search ads was definitely the, uh, the out of those two areas that I looked at, that was definitely the better, better return on investment. Uh, but still, the number of downloads didn't. Uh, outweigh the amount that you spend on doing that, that particular type of advertising. So uh, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's that effective for uh, small indie developers like myself with uh, limited advertising budgets. I can understand how it'd work well for the for the big guys with tens of thousands of pounds to spend, but um, yeah. But for me, it didn't do a huge amount, but it did give me a pile of useful data, so I could look at uh, like I say the keywords and where it has been downloaded and uh, some of the demographic information as well. It's really interesting that you say that, actually, because I always sort of feel with search ads, like, for me, I've had that same sort of experience of, like, it's not been a path towards sustainability. Um, So it's not a case of, oh, I've spent, you know, £50 or whatever on on search ads and I'm getting £100 back. It's it's been the opposite, you know. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. But like you say, you've kind of turned that on its head and you've been able to get useful data out of it that has then informed things like keywords and positioning for the app store that, um, that's it and, and 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 like i mentioned um I, it did uh, just with a couple of downloads um in france and spain it did get into the top five briefly i mean it hung around in the the top five, top uh, 20 for about a day, just with that three, I think it was about three downloads in Spain. So even though that's not generating new whole pile of uh, money, it is getting that visibility on the on the app store. So, so people aren't having to scroll through hundreds or thousands of apps to discover yours. You're actually there and fairly discoverable for that brief period. And, and the hope was that if you managed to poke it into that, that kind of uh, top charts where people don't need to scroll down the screen to see the app, that maybe that would uh, generate more downloads. But um, it, it hasn't been, that hasn't been reflected in the downloads I've had today, but uh, it was certainly interesting to see it go there and see what happened. So what's next for Meander? Right. Well, I'm, I'm working on quite a big update at the moment. So I've added uh, some route tracking so that as you're moving around, it's tracking your uh, where you're going, and then you can see that overlaid onto a map afterwards, along with the start and finish and your times and things like that. So you can look back at any of the walks that you've done up to that point, and it'll show you a, a map of the route that you took. And I've also added some sharing to it so that you can, uh, when you get to the target, or even if you're just looking back at your history and you think, oh, I want to tell people about this, you can uh, click on a share button and post the map of your route along with some of your stats um, to uh, to people on, on on Twitter or via uh, just text messages, standard standard uh, iPhone share sheet kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, quite enjoyed doing that update because I did it uh, completely in Swift UI. So um, it's certainly the most Swift UI I've done for since since I've started. So uh, 
quite pleased with the way it's all hanging together at the moment. And I'm also adding multiple waypoints. So at the moment, the app picked a single target for you to get to, um, and you go out to it and you can choose to walk back to where you started from. But on the new version, you'd be able to literally pick things like a circular route or a triangular route or drop your own waypoints and then it'll join them all up and then it'll time you to get to each of those waypoints. So that's that that bit there isn't 100% uh, working at the moment because the, the maths for doing that gets even more complicated. Yeah. But uh, that'll be that'll be coming out very shortly, hopefully. Um unless I uh my brain just explodes completely dealing with uh, dealing with measurements and degrees and radians and circumferences and oh god, please make it stop. <laughs> so where can people find you online, Gary? So uh, probably best place to get hold of me is on uh, Twitter, which is just at uh, goodbinary, all one word. Um, and I've got a uh, website, uh, which is goodbinary.com, and that's got a contact us on there. So those are probably the two best best ways of getting hold of me. Awesome. Well, it's been really good talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks, David. I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. And uh, stay safe.